you have the chance to win a Spring Super Sweeps from LAist. Donate $60 for one entry to win a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Check out all the other prizes too when you donate now at LAist.com sweeps. I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, a live literary event series from LAist. We are back with guests, author Amanda Montel and actor Bella Lavelle. You can find us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum. Tickets at LAist.com events. Studios. You want to trip me or hug me? Do you want to punch me or kiss me? Hello there, everyone. I'm John Horn, and this is my final show. I have really loved getting to talk with some of the most fascinating people in Hollywood and, equally important, sharing those conversations with you. For our last show, a dear friend of the pod and a donor, along with his wife, Rita Wilson, Tom Hanks is back as we bring you part two of a deep dive interview I did with him while he was in England filming a couple of months back. You might know Tom from his vast acting career with iconic roles like Forrest Gump, Buzz Lightyear, and Mr. Rogers, but he's also an author. He's got a new book out called The Making of Another Major Motion Picture Masterpiece, a novel. But first... I left the LA Times to come to KPCC nine years ago this week. As I told my editor at the newspaper at the time, I was leaving one nonprofit for another, the LA Times by default, KPCC by design. Anyway, about three months after I came to the station, my editor, Darby Maloney, and I went to the Telluride Film Festival. We were not on the air. We were a nobody. Alejandro Gonzalez and Yadatu had a little movie there called Birdman, went on to win the Oscar. I asked Alejandro if he would give us a little time. He was hardly doing any interviews at Telluride. He gave us 45 minutes. John Stewart from The Daily Show had his directorial debut there as well, a movie called Rosewater. Its producer, Scott Rudin, who famously fights with everybody, was fighting with me, and he said, you can't talk to John. So I went to Gigi Pritzker, the film's financier, and she said, I paid for the movie. I don't care what Scott thinks. You can talk to John. So we came back with interviews with Alejandro and John Stewart, and that put the show on the map. But the best story about that festival, we were flying out to Telluride. I was in row 27B of a United flight. Guy next to me had a laptop open. looked like he was working on a screenplay. I struck up a conversation. I am that annoying guy next to you on a plane. It was Graham Moore. He was going to Telluride for the world premiere of his film, The Imitation Game. Did a quick interview in the United Lounge. Took a picture there. And then we took a picture a couple months later of my standing with Graham Moore at the Academy Awards with his Oscar in his hand. The public radio angels were with us in Telluride, and they have been with us ever since. Here's some other great memories and interviews I have had along the way. From the Moan Broadcast Center, this is The Frame, a daily report on the world of art, entertainment, and culture. And here's your host, John Horne. You might know him as Captain Picard. This actor did a very nice intro for The Frame. Thanks, Patrick. When we started the show, we asked us about important firsts in their career. We have a 30-second request. We're All launching right, our show it. in two weeks. Everybody who comes on is saying the first thing that something happened. Hi, I'm Gina Davis. And the first time I got cast in a movie was in Tootsie. My name is Antoine Fuqua. The first job that 
I failed and actually got fired on was American Gangster. I'm John Stewart. The first time I bombed on stage, funnily enough, was the first time I was on stage. For some reason, I was absolutely not nervous at all. My first scene was with Dustin Hoffman in my underwear. But what I learned from that was um, it's not all about me all the time. And you have to uh, you have to learn how to navigate sometimes as a filmmaker. Uh, the Bitter End, New York City, one o'clock in the morning, following Three Doors cover bands. I had a good five minutes prepared. About two minutes into it, the audience realized I might suck at this. But the funniest thing was, I didn't know you're only supposed to come on the days that you're working. And nobody bothered to tell me for six weeks. I showed up at six and went home when everybody else did. I'd get a chair and put it right next to Sidney Pollack and sit there all day. It's a bad day when that happens, man. It's a bad day. I still feel that pain, John. I still feel it. As I walked into the night, uh, I thought to myself, you know, there were a lot of law schools. I could, I could, I could go to them. And our first ever guest in 2014 was Christopher Nolan. He was about to release his movie, Interstellar. A lot of people are saying that this is your most personal film. How do you respond to that? Do you take it as a compliment? Do you think they might be right? I think they don't know me, so how would they, <laughs> how would they know? I don't know. Well, you, maybe uh, you know yourself. I don't know myself terribly well either. We've had a lot of great memories, some of them emotional, some of them physical. Like the time I crashed my bike into another bike being ridden by Tom Smuts, a rider on Mad Men. Whoa, whoa, whoa! Sorry, I said right on 23rd, but that's... I'm so sorry. Are you okay? <laughs> and there was the time I went to Guillermo del Toro's house, not where he lives, but where he keeps all of his stuff. There's monsters, there's props, there's books. It's a pretty amazing and somewhat creepy place. I like Jack Nicholson in The Shining. I, I've been here forever. So I, I assemble the bookshelves, I clean, I dust, uh, and the house is truly, truly... An, an installation, if you would, you know? It, it is not a hoarder house. It's not a house where things are out of order. They have an order. They have a reason, you know? And, and what is important is that it's, it speaks intimately to me. So do you ever spend the night here? Uh, yeah, in the first floor, yeah. The second floor is kind of scary. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, <laughs> there, there was a, there, there, there have been strange noises in the second floor that... And I, I don't believe in anything, but we, in Mexico we have a saying, I don't believe in witches, but they're real. <laughs> okay, now we're entering one more room. Yeah, this is the, the film book room. The but, film book room, so yeah, this is kind of history of General movies. film, but in the projection room I have my favorite uh, filmmakers. Where is that room? Come see it. This Wait, is, I have to say, there's a bathtub oh, th- th- with a writing desk in the yeah. bathtub. No, there's, there's, a, there's actually a desk in front of the toilet. And there's a desk in front of the toilet. Yes. I talked to Meryl Streep about a movie she made called Suffragette about women getting the right to vote. And I asked her about women in Hollywood. Women's stories and the things that interest them, concern them, confound them, are on our screens. That's important because it's... It'll define us. I think it's easy for people to assume that this issue or the broader issue of equality has been resolved. I suspect a lot of people, including yourself, would have a very different opinion. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's a fight that's not over. But I, 
I probably shouldn't say a fight. I think it should be an agreement. It should be an agreement within the human family that both sides are important. And it seems to be very, very difficult to get that agreement. I just think that somehow it's an interior change in the minds of men. I still, when you bring up anything that sort of has the roseate cast of feminism to it, even the most enlightened men I can feel, even my husband, they kind of go, they're exhausted by this subject because it's not their subject. We interviewed Jordan Peele when Get Out debuted. We gave him a quiz about horror movie scores. Listen to what he did. It's remarkable. You clearly pay a lot of attention to music. Uh, We have some horror music cues lined up for you. I'm going to test to see how much of a horror movie music nerd you really are. You ready to play? Let's hear the, uh, the first cue. Okay, that's John Carpenter's Halloween. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That's uh, the tubular bells from uh, Exorcist. Okay. One for one. Next cue. John Carpenter's Halloween. I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. Okay. Next cue. Okay, that, that's going to be Psycho. Very good. Three for three. Bernard Herman. And the last one. Okay. This is uh, Philip Glass's Candyman. What do you think about that? That was unbelievable. What do you think about that? That's unbelievable. (laughs) Here's something from my longtime producer, Monica Bushman, whom I'm really going to miss, talking about how I tend to shed tears that I'm doing it right now. This is Monica Bushman. I'm a producer on The Frame, and I'm also a crier. I cry at the movies and watching TV shows and even during some commercials. I try not to cry at work, but one of the things that I really enjoy about working on The Frame is that John Horn is a crier, too. He cries at work, and he's not at all ashamed about it. A time that stands out for me was when he was talking with Maya Erskine and Anna Conkle. They're the creators and stars of the Hulu show Pen15. It's a beautiful scene, but it's really... I mean, it's. I mean, I'm crying. But it's it's real. Jonathan Shiflet, one of the other producers here, remembered this moment from John's interview with Randy Newman. And when she was sad, I was there to dry her tears. And when she I, I didn't make it. I didn't make through without crying. Oh. And Julia Paskin recalled this moment from an interview she produced with Mahershala Ali. You're in the middle of the world. When he and John talked about the powerful swimming lesson scene from Moonlight. It's all I can do to not wow. cry in this scene. Well, it brings up crying. so much for me, man. It really does. So be a little more like John Horn. Go ahead and shed a tear and don't feel bad about it. After the break, Tom Hanks. The LAS Spring Super Sweeps is happening now. You can win amazing prizes while supporting your source for local fact-based journalism. One lucky grand prize winner will get to choose a brand new Lexus or $25,000 in cash. Other prizes include an electric bike from Juice Bikes and $1,000 gas gift cards. Your donation of $60 gets you one entry to win. And the more you give, the more entries you get. Donate now at LAS.com sweeps. 
Alaist has a new live event series with the James Beard Foundation. We Are Where We Eat will go behind the scenes of some of your favorite LA restaurants to find out how and why they do what they do. I'm Austin Cross. Join me for the first event where we'll explore how restaurants help make a neighborhood and we'll all have something delicious to eat afterwards. It's May 22nd at the Crawford. Get your tickets now at LAist.com slash events. You know Tom Hanks' credits, but I'm going to add one because it's new. He's a novelist. He has a new book out. It's called The Making of Another Major Motion Picture Masterpiece, a novel. Tom's book is about the making of a star-studded, multi-million dollar superhero action film, something Tom knows a lot about. There's a male star at the center who isn't always that cooperative. Tom says it's somewhat based on him early in his career. It's also about the humble comic books that inspired this story, and it also captures the changes in America and American pop culture since World War II. When I talked to Tom, we talked much more about movies and television than novels, and he talked about the lessons that he has learned from his career and auditioning, as well as the time that he fired actor Connor Ratliff from a small role in the series Band of Brothers, which led Ratliff to make a very popular podcast called Dead Eyes. You went on Dead Eyes, and I will say, and Tom, I will tell you when you're, <laughs> when you're doing great work and when you're not, this was one of the best podcast episodes I have ever heard. Dead Eyes, well, why don't you explain what the concept of Dead Eyes is? Well, this is all because of uh, Connor. Um, my, <laughs> both my son, Colin, and my daughter had mentioned this podcast called Dead Eyes that they either listened to. I think actually Colin had done it. And he said, you know, you're the reason for it, Dad. And I said, well, explain this to me. Connor uh, was an actor in England. At the time, we were casting Band of Brothers, which was, I'd rather say, 1999, I think, is when we were, when we were casting it. Um, and uh, he came in, and I was directing an episode, and it was just a couple of lines in the thing. And I, I cast him, and then a few days later, I uncasted him. I got had somebody else. And I don't remember saying, that guy had dead eyes. But that's the type of thing that you say uh, in production offices, you know, uh, it's it's you know, it's it's uh, it's brutal in there sometimes. And when he he was told that he had the job and that did not have the job and someone said it's because Tom Tom Hanks said you had dead eyes. And. That must have been and I've since spoken to him, that must have been crippling to a young actor to hear that first of all to have the job and lose a job that's one thing but then to hear a reason uh i would like to get my hands on the person who told him that and throttle them uh uh because uh that's verboten but i had to cop to the fact that enough of that happened so that i was responsible for a very bad day for an actor and i don't remember why and it certainly didn't have any bearing on the on the final result except Connor went off and began this this podcast. And when my when my kids told me about it, I said, "Would he have me on? I mean, uh, I, 
I should talk about this. I should, I don't know, make amends, do something. And uh, we worked it out. And it was an extraordinary. I mean, oddly enough, he's got a podcast and, you know, there's a thing that came from it. But for an actor to turn uh, a very bad day into something that can become, uh, you know, a, a workload and, uh, and, a, and a, a way to make a living, as well as a way to uh, artistically create and express himself and tell more stories, uh, I, I absolutely have to had to give it up to Connor. And um, he was uh, gracious, uh, but he was also truthful. You know, uh, he talked about how bad that day was, what it was like, why he didn't understand. And the thing that was uh, scary to me is that I had almost no recollection of of that, that, that you know, when you're directing, it's like you're fighting uh, the tide with, you know, with a chain link fence. There's no stopping all the work that you have to do. So copy to the fact that, yeah, I had done that and understand. I, look, I've been an actor who lost jobs. I was fired from a couple of jobs here and there in the early days or didn't get them. And it's that uh, it's brutal. And uh, it was a bad day. And uh, I was happily able to to work it out and uh, say somewhere down the line, I'm going to make this up to you. It was like, here's a story of responsibility gone awry. Here's here's where cordiality and uh, professionalism uh, was screwed up on my end somehow to to no avail, to to no reason that I could recall. Um, so it was, uh, it was it was a cleansing process, I must say. It was good of Connor to have me on. It was and uh, and uh, hold my shoes to the fire. Let's hear a little bit from your appearance on Connor Ratliff's podcast, Dead Eyes. Well, I'm. I couldn't be. I couldn't be more pleased to be having this conversation. Well, do you want to trip me or hug me? Do you want to punch me or kiss me? I guess the thing I, I want to start out with is finding out how you heard about this podcast. I heard about it from my son Colin and and my daughter Elizabeth. And what did you? What was your first thought when you heard what the concept? Was? I was aghast. I was. I was. I, I actually got chilled. My heart rate, you know, yeah, skyrocketed, and it said, "I did. I. I did what? <laughs> I did what? Okay. What right. struck what me about your appearance is you didn't deny that it happened. You apologized profusely. But you had this beautiful take on what it means to be an actor, what it means to be told no, the vagaries of the business. Um, obviously, somebody shouldn't have told Connor why he wasn't getting the part. But it, it, you had such a beautiful perspective on the rewards and the risks of the business. And it felt like you really were able to kind of, even though this is something that was very personal to Connor and involved you, you had this great kind of remove of... Um, dispassionate objectivity about this event. And it just made me think about the way you might see the business now. And are you able to kind of step back and look at things with some sort of different clarity or perspective than maybe 10 or 20 years ago might not have been as easy? I think there is a period of time where an artist, actually in a collaborative artist that an actor has to be, let's understand, you know, uh, Actors are involved in a big collateral um, process. You are relying on other people just as they are relying on you. And there is a tendency, I think, to take things very, very, very seriously that should not be taken seriously. 
there are attitudes that you can sort of cop. There are uh, skills that you think you need to have. There is uh, uh, rules that you think you have to follow that you can fall into just by trickery of, of, of a bad habit. It might have worked once. And so you try to recreate those circumstances again and again and again. And the truth is, any movie is one I can't tell you how different every movie is from the previous movie. They are not the same experience. The people are not the same experience. The, the day, the the day's demands are different on every every day on a job. Damage. So um, there, there is, uh, I think, uh, a tendency to be so specific early on because you think that's your strength. Um, but I think acceptance and letting go of that process is of greater importance now but here's the thing um you 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 there's no substituting that type of intelligence without experience you have to go through it you have to make a long series of mistakes you have to do stuff that that does not work out and you know your earlier question was is you know, do you think you ever think, hey, this that was great. Hey, I really nailed it. Oh, this movie is going to do well. I did that earlier on. I thought, oh, well, you know, the things work and it's good and it's fun. And you're 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 left twisting in the wind with a chaparral blowing patch on a dusty desert somewhere. And you're saying, what happened? What happened? What, what? I thought that I thought that was good. And the same thing goes, I think, now is uh, as you get enough of the experience of. Uh, down under i remember hearing i remember hearing this great 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 story about a young actor and an old actor a woman who was you know in in something for a few days and the young actor who was at the beginning of his career said what are we doing why are we shooting this come on i'm ready to go how come we're not shooting this damn they're not boy they're not very organized around here and they're not treating her that's worth my thing i wanted to why are we shooting i don't understand this man this is really pissing me off this is really I'm ready to go. Hey, I'm ready to go, everybody. What's going on? Why are we shooting? Why are we shooting? And this this older woman who had made 800 million movies came over and touched him on the knee and said, would you like to go home? <gasps> and that guy shut up and learned a lesson. And uh, that is a type of experience that I think that you have to have i uh i've uh, witnessed and have had myself eight a long long unending list of aesop's fables life lessons you know of uh uh that the your your the only way really that you can control your wedge of the collaborative experience is to accept very, very basic responsibilities. One is to oftentimes shut up, certainly show up on time, know the dialogue, you know, and have an idea in the back of your pocket. But it's also to 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 float or, or to 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 fight, uh, depending on when the moment comes up. And I don't think you really know that early on. I don't know if I said this to Connor on the podcast, but you know, you talk about when you were young, you know, when we're all young actors and we're doing it on this combination of absolute instinct, but also this desire, because there is nothing more engaging than being involved in the telling of a story. Nothing more engaging. It's the most fun you can possibly have. And I remember um, thinking that 
in any whether I'm in if I'm watching somebody in a play or a movie or if I'm in a audition circumstances, I remember being young enough and confident enough to thinking <clears throat> I'm better than 50 percent of the people here. You know, if there's 20 guys in here, get rid of 10 of them right now because I'm better than them. All right. So that leaves nine. OK. Me, me and nine others. Well, I got news for you. I'm as good. I'm as good as seven of those people. But those those other remaining, <laughs> those two that remain, they're geniuses and I can't touch them. I, I cannot even begin to do what they do or have the have the uh, the wherewithal or the expertise. I don't I don't have the vision that those guys have. But if I'm the right height and I have the right hair color and I'm loud enough, you know, I might get this gig. And that is that's enough of a hope in order to get you to through the brutal process of being dispassionate about not getting the job and looking for the next. Tom, I can't thank you enough. This has been amazing and magical. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Always a pleasure, John. Thank you. Hanks's novel is available now wherever you get your books. I'd recommend Romans in Pasadena or Bookshop.org, a collective of independent bookshops online. As they say on a movie set, it is a series wrap for me. I have a special message for everyone after the break. Hi, I'm Tracy Thomas, host of One for the Books, and we are back for another round. This is clearly an NPR audience. (laughs) I think they're so smart. What the hell? My guests this time are actor Vela Lavelle and author Amanda Montel, whose new book, The Age of Magical Overthinking, is out now. Join us on May 15th at the Crawford Family Forum for book talk, trivia, and hot takes. Tickets can be found at laist.com slash events. Arole is our love letter to Los Angeles. We'll tell you where to get a yummy torta, a bowl of kanji, and of course, a burger. It's a beef sausage blend, fried egg, grilled onions, and then raspberry jam. What hiking trails to check out. This feels like we're out in the mountains. And where to take in some culture. Lemur Park, they've been fostering jazz for decades. LA is a big place with a lot going on, so we got you. Subscribe to How to LA from LA Studios wherever you listen to podcasts. Before I sign off, I want to share some thanks. First, to all the people who took the time to listen to our shows. The Frame, The Award Show Show, Hollywood The Sequel, and Retake. Second, to all the people who talked with me and shared their stories. Directors, writers, producers, actors, costume designers, composers, especially Chris Bowers and Nick Brattel, studio executives, comedians, singers, dancers, painters, graphic novelists, photographers, authors, whoever else worked in a creative endeavor. And a thanks to KPCC and Elliot for daring to hire someone who had very little radio experience in the first place, and the amazing producers, editors, and engineers who made me sound much better than I really am. Finally, to everyone who is a cultural consumer, please support original work. If you must see the 19th Indiana Jones movie, do that. But don't forget the great foreign language film, 
maybe an art house release that has great reviews or a new documentary. Go to the opera, go hear live music, check out a small theater production, visit a museum, maybe a stand-up comedy club. Because the only way that original storytelling will continue is if people show up and pay for it. And maybe I'll see you there. Thank you so much for listening to Retake. I'm John Horn. Retake is produced and engineered by Michael Cosentino, who has an unbelievable shoe collection, and Monica Bushman, who's worked with me for almost the full nine years I've been here, Taylor Kaufman, my long-suffering session director, and the editor is Suzanne Levy, who's getting married soon. Good luck, Suzanne. Finally, thanks to Bill Davis and Colin Campbell, who hired me in the first place. Bye. Listeners like you help make Retake possible. So please donate now at elias.com forward slash join and thanks. Support for this podcast is made possible by Gordon and Donna Crawford, who believe that quality journalism makes Los Angeles a better place to live. Elias Studios operates within the homelands of the Gabrielino Tongva people. We recognize the painful history of displacement, settler colonialism, and erasure of the people, their language, and their sovereignty. Visit Elias.com slash land for more information. We encourage you to get curious about the land on which you live and work. As a farmer's son from a desert region in California, J.B. Hamby thinks a lot about water. I spent a lot of time digging up history, particularly about water, which is the origins of the Imperial Valley. How this 28-year-old became the youngest lead negotiator on the Colorado River ever, and how he could shape the most consequential negotiations to date. Listen to Imperfect Paradise, the Gen Z water dealmaker, wherever you get podcasts. Start your Saturday with something that will grow your kiddos' brains and get their creative juices flowing. Join us at LAS for a morning of multilingual story times, interactive performances, art making, and lots of kid fun. Bring the whole fam and join us for a super fun Saturday at LAS in Pasadena on June 1st. Tickets at LAS.com events. See you there.